Bloody Elbow presents Crooklyn's Corner, a hodgepodge of current event topics from the combat sports and entertainment community. Here is your host, Crooklyn, a.k.a. Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Crooklyn's Corner. I'm your host, Crooklyn, but most of you know me by my real name now, Steffi Haynes. And joining me for the second time, and I'm so happy for this, is Aaron Bronstetter from the Sports Network. Aaron, thank you for joining me again. It's my pleasure. I know we were hoping to do this, uh, I guess, at the end of last year, but things started to get a little bit swamped for me. But I'm, I'm back. I was on vacation for a couple of weeks and feel refreshed, hit the reset button, and I'm happy to be doing this with you. It's going to be fun. Yes, indeed. And I have to give you some props and snaps and take my hat off to you because of all of the coverage uh, in the unfortunate situation with Dana White, I really enjoy your balanced coverage. I mean, you're pretty balanced with everything, but it's very refreshing to see just the facts, Jack. That's what I love about when you're doing your um, post-fight presser updates. Any presser updates, just you never opine in them. And I love that. I think it's great. Uh, we, we see a lot of opinion, especially with me. I'm the most opinionated broad out there. But it's nice to have someone like yourself that's just disseminating the facts. Well, I'm going to say you probably haven't listened to my podcast from this week, but uh, outside of that, yeah, I guess on social media, I'm, social you know, media I, I'm, I'm saying what I thought was, this is the thing about it is like, when that happened, I, I came out and said, like, there's just no, right. ex- like, you can't make excuses. It's, it's like, it's an unacceptable act. And yes. like, the amount of backlash I got for that, which I just thought was like, common sense and like, mm-hmm. ba- basic, decent, like human decency mm-hmm. was shocking to me. But uh and I don't know why, you know, and a lot of people gave me props for that. And I'm thinking like, this isn't really something that deserves props. It's kind of like goes without saying almost, but I guess that's not the world we live in today, sadly. It's really not. And in our own space, it's not the world that we want it to be with media all the way down to the, the fan base. Excuse me, I just banged into my mic. But even the fan base leaves a little to be desired. I mean, one just need look in the comments. But I don't want to make this podcast about that I just wanted to give you your your due props. Let's get down to brass tacks, though, because we have our 2022 award season going on right now. And I, you, we were not really late. I do this for the whole month of January. I try and target the uh, the the big name journalists because everybody wants to know who your favorites are. So let's start with rookie of the year. Well, I'm going to give something of a hipster pick here because I think. The common answer for this is either Bo Nickel or Raul Rosas Jr. Now, both of the, you know, Bo Nickel hasn't even fought in the UFC yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, Raul Rosas Jr. has one fight and it was a spectacular fight. But I'm going to give this one, this is going to be, again, kind of a hipster pick. Tatsuro Taira, he's 22 years old. We haven't had a great fighter from Japan in some time in the UFC. And him coming into the UFC got two wins in 2022 over Carlos Candelario and CJ Vergara. He's only 22 years of age. And I think that this is a guy who's going to compete for a title at some point in time in the flyweight division if he can keep this trajectory up. And I think that that's so huge for the country of Japan because, like I mentioned, the UFC hasn't had a great Japanese fighter in in a long time. Mm. And maybe since Kyoji Horiguchi in terms of like a title challenger. Mm-hmm. And I think that Tatsuro Taira is the next one. I agree 100 um, percent. Zane had the funniest response to this. He went with... Askar Mozarov, because he said that the way that guy put out so much work to cheat his record and then actually made it not only to the UFC, but onto a main card of a big pay-per-view. And it just, he was bowled over by that. So that was Zane's pick. And I I will never get over that. I love it. Well, now, Steffi, I can't compete in the hipster department with Zane. I'm doing the best I, I can, but I just can't compete with him. He, his his hipster picks are so out of left field. Like we're talking avant-garde free jazz here uh, to my like, you know, unsigned indie band. <laughs> well, let's take a look at veteran of the year then. Let's let's see how you like the veterans that were spread out across 2022. Well, my veteran of the year went 0-1, and that's Glover Teixeira. Um, he lost this fight against Yuri uh, Prokhashka, but the amount of heart that he showed in that fight and the um, 
the way that he was able to overcome a lot of really bad spots and also put Yuri Prokashka in a lot of bad spots, he was on his way to winning that fight. Um, I, I have to give him props as my veteran of the year. 43 years old. How many fighters ever in, U- in like UFC history have fought at a championship level at that age? Um, so I, I'm going to give the guy his flowers, even though he didn't win a fight in 2022. He was my pick, too. Um, I'm okay, well, happy huge, to hear that. I'm a huge Glover fan, and I thought that the fact that he was in there fighting a guy so much younger than him, there was more than a decade difference between the two, and just he was fighting a killer. I mean, <laughs> Yuri is, wow. I mean, that dude, he, he puts you away. And for Glover to get to the point where there was... Literally 30 seconds left in the fight for it was his fight to lose. Unfortunately, he lost it. But I don't know. I I wanted to see that rematch so bad because I think he has a chance in the rematch still. So. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see that rematch. And I mean, I think we're, we're getting to the next topic. So we'll, we'll continue on this fight, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the opinion of most. So go ahead. I'll give you the floor. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we picked the same fight of the year. Go ahead. Yeah, Glover versus Yuri. Yep. I mean, I think I think it's tough to go against this. Like, I think Onama versus Landwehr was a great fight, but I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about five rounds. It was like being on a roller coaster that fight. Um, so I think anybody who gives this to any other fight really is kind of reaching or being disingenuous because Glover versus Yuri might be the greatest UFC fight ever. Yeah. So to, to have it in 2022, I think you gotta you gotta give that fight the fight of the year. I gotta ask you a question about that fight though. I need to know this because, um, to me, you're a rock. You're a solid rock. And I need to know what emotion you experienced in that last 30 seconds. Were you as saddened as I was? I mean, I literally was pretty close to crying. I wouldn't say I was sad. I I think, if anything, I felt some joy that, like, we got to see the best of the human spirit on display, right? Like, I, I love Glover. I think he's a great guy. I actually spoke to him earlier today um, to talk about his upcoming fight. Mm. But I, I just like that fight was a triumph of the human spirit on both ends. Mm. And uh, at the end of it, I was just like, wow, I like it was almost like a, a sense of relief that it was over because it was just so intense for all five rounds. And uh, like I said, I think that's the best way I could sum it up is it was truly a triumph of the human spirit. And I, I don't think that there was a loser in that fight. I, I think that it was just uh, a tremendous show of heart for both men. Indeed. And as a fan of both men, I went into that fight thinking, I don't know who I want to win. I don't really care. But by the second round, I was firmly rooting for Glover because of how well he was doing. I mean, it was crazy how good he was doing. But then, you know, it was the pendulum was swinging back and forth. What a great fight. And you're right. It was the fight of the year. It also had my stomach in knots the entire time i felt like i was having anxiety attacks watching that fight yeah i mean i, I said it's like being on a roller coaster it's exactly that and i get very anxious on roller coasters so <laughs> that's how it felt for me like my stomach was turning watching mm. that fight how about your round of the year you know this one for me was fairly easy as well i think there are some good candidates but i, I went with gaichi versus Oliveira the first round of that the only round mm. of that fight really I, I, again roller coaster back and forth it was like yuri versus glover but like if you fast forwarded it and like watched it in three speed like it, it was just you know guys solving problems and uh Oliveira working through what Gaethje had and making Gaethje think and then beating Gaethje at his own game down the stretch. But it, it almost felt like a five round fight in one round. Like it was just so much was happening. And uh, I love both those fighters. Like they're two of my all time favorite fighters to watch in this sport um, just from a competitive standpoint. So to see that fight, like that was the fight I was most looking forward to in 2022. And it delivered. Would you say it was on par with uh, Nick Diaz, Paul Daly? Whew, uh, probably not. I mean, that's probably the best round ever, yes. in my opinion. Uh, you know, whenever <laughs> yeah, yeah. people ask to watch, like if, if I am asked to introduce someone to MMA, that's the round that I show them is that is that that round. Um, so it's hard to compete with it, but it's, it's up there. Like it's it's certainly in terms of round one, one round fights and especially from a championship standpoint, great one round fights like that one is probably it. All right. How about your knockout? of? Uh, excuse me. Yes. Knockout of the year. Um, I went with Chandler and Ferguson. I think it's also a pretty common answer. You know, I think that with Ferguson winning that first round, um, 
it made the fight more exciting. And the way that Chandler landed that front kick, like I spoke to his striking coach after the fact, and the striking coach was just like, I don't know where that came from or how he delivered it or how he landed it so perfectly, but it was just like, it wasn't, it was almost like a, a soccer kick. Like it was like, it was almost like a punt. It wasn't even like a, you know, if you were to look at a front kick by technique, like the way that he landed that, it was almost like he was kicking a football. It was very jarring in terms of a, a knockout, but that was my knockout of the year just because of, uh, I mean, just how, how pinpoint perfect it was in terms of how it landed. And it's not like Ferguson's a guy that's had a suspect chin in the past. Like, if you look at what Gaethje did to him, it was like that was just basically like chopping down a tree. It was just like strike after strike after strike. Like, this was a one-shot knockout of, of Tony Ferguson, which we're certainly not accustomed to. Yeah. How about your submission of the year? This one came in one championship. It was uh, Rainier de Ritter against uh, Vitaly Big Dash for the middleweight championship, uh, de Ritter retaining the title. Just the way that he set up this inverted triangle was unbelievable. Uh, this guy's a wizard on the ground. I know that his stock has dropped pretty dramatically after his uh, his loss to uh, Anatoly Malikin. Mm -hmm. But th this, to me, was just like the way that he set it up, the way that he executed, um, it, it raised his stock a ton in the way that he was able to do that. And of course, holding two championships for a time in one championship. Um, I don't want to diminish what he did earlier in the year just because he lost later in the year. So I'm going to go with Reinier de Ritter. Very, very good call. That's my second favorite submission. My first one is the, the Soluev stretch, but I love the inverted triangle only because I interviewed Braulio Estima about 10 or 12 years ago, and I interviewed him like five times in a series of interviews, and he explained in great detail the setup for an inverted triangle and the best way to do. I mean, he spent 30 minutes on the inverted triangle and it stuck <laughs> with me ever since. Well, the way he said, the, the way that he transitioned from submission and attack to, to ending up on his back and then throwing that up and just how he was able to, to um, use the torque mm -hmm. in order to get big dash to go to sleep was really something. And the other one on my radar was Stevie Ray against uh, Anthony Pettis, that like inverted body lock mm -hmm. that, that uh, I, I don't know if it broke the ribs of Pettis or if he had broken ribs going into the fight, but that was a pretty cool one. That, the, the reason why I went with uh, DeRitter is just in case that was, you know, an aggravated injury of Pettis, maybe you don't give yeah. him full marks, but uh, th that was still a pretty, pretty solid submission as well. How about your comeback of the year? If you... I'm almost positive you're going to say the same one I am. Yeah, you know, I'll give a hat tip to Drew Dober against uh, Terrence McKinney, but I think Edwards versus Usman is probably the greatest comeback of all time. It's it's hard to go against that um, really ever. I, you know, oh, I, we I, did we did differ. I, I thought oh, something else. Really? Okay, I, I I'd love to hear yours. Matt Schnell, Sumanerji. Oh, that Matt was a great. Matt Schnell was that on was the brink one. of death. Yeah, Wonder that was a great comeback. I actually forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the stakes of Edwards versus Usman, yeah, I think that's, like... Yeah, I understand that pick. Yeah. But uh, as far as sheer entertainment value and mm -hmm. watchability... Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, Matt Schnell was like the Undertaker there. Just popped up out of his casket <laughs> and came back to life. Yeah, like Tyson Fury against Deontay Wilder. Exactly. But... Uh, yeah, you know that what that is a great one. Like, I mean, if you're talking about sheer, like, come if you ignore the stakes. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably up there too. I mean, like you said, he was almost finished on multiple occasions before mm -hmm. that, as opposed to like Usman was winning that fight against Edwards, but right. I don't think Edwards was ever in serious trouble there. Um, yeah, I mean th that one certainly is is an all timer as well. Yeah, Usman was on his way to just shutting him down, shutting him out, but it wasn't going to be a finish. So I, yeah, I, I I'd agree with that. No, but as far as the stakes go, you're right. This one is the more important fight. But as far as watchability, -wee, murder G. <laughs> My goodness. All right. So let's talk about card of the year. Yeah, this was a tough one. because There were a lot of good ones this year. And I'm going to go with this one strictly because of how good the main card was. And that's UFC 275. Like, I think expectations were fairly low for this card. Um, it was Yuri versus Glover main event. The co-main was Shevchenko and, and Tyler Santos. And then it also had Zhang Veili against Joanna Jacek. If you look at just those three fights mm. um, with the expectation versus reality, I think this was the card of the year. Um, Prokhashka Teixeira, we talked about it earlier, fight of the year. Shevchenko has never really been tested at flyweight. 
She had that one round that she lost to Jennifer Maya, which was really kind of the only round where she looked human at flyweight thus far. And Tyler Santos really gave her all that she could handle. Mm-hmm. I thought that she really over um, over delivered in terms of expectation in that fight. And then Zhang Veili with the, the spinning back fist KO of, of Ioana mm-hmm. in that rematch, I thought was a pretty spectacular knockout. And then you also had Jake Matthews against Andre Fialyu. Uh, Fialyu was going to that fight with a lot of momentum. And then Jack Della Maddalena against uh, Ramazan Emiev mm-hmm. with a great knockout there as well. So that was a, a really solid uh, main card for UFC 275. So I went with that one. I think there might have been better ones over the course of the year. But I think that this didn't have a lot of um, hype going into it. And I think that anybody who watched it left that card being like, wow. Mm. Definitely over delivered. A lot of people were saying uh, the London card, and uh, I got um because I I did a little bit of polling too. That, that it won't make the the show or anything, but I did ask a few people, and I also got uh, two eighty one. People really like that one. Two eighty one was what Israel versus um mm-hmm. Pereira. Yeah, yeah, that was a great card. But I like the Glover one better. Uh, that was yeah, my card two, of the year. Yeah, two eighty one is two eighty one might be up there with 275 if not better like 281 I, I was backstage for it so that whenever i'm backstage for an event it just seems like a blur like it goes by so fast but i remember watching that card and i was like wow 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 like there were lots of wow moments yes. at uh 281 if you want to talk about you know comeback of the year i you know Pereira against israel was is up y- there too yes yes indeed i mean izzy was coasting and then phew, there it goes all right let's talk about coach of the year I'm gonna go with Habib. Like, did he? Did any of his fighters lose this year at, at a major promotion? Yes. Like, well, it wasn't I, it's a tough, loss. It's tough to go against him. It, it wasn't really a loss, but it wasn't a win. I mean, he was pretty pissed off about Ankalaev. <laughs> uh, well, he doesn't coach Ankalaev. I, I know, but I mean, he was there and he was pissed. But as, yeah. there was something else though. On a, where was it? He was, was mad a, at one of his fighters. I remember. Uh, it was with, a Bellator card, or was it a UFC card? I can't remember. It was, but I think what, it was a UFC card. I think it might have been. It Ulan was over Bekov. the judging. It was Piotr Jan. Yes. Well, he was mad about Piotr Jan too. Yeah, yeah he was mad but about there the was another that one that he actively coaches, though. That he was really upset. No, he didn't coach Jan either. But he no. was just at that. Like that's what I, I said. Who he was it coaching was, at that card? Yeah, that's what I was saying. It was another fighter that he was actually oh, yeah. coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I can't remember which one it was because there was one where he was screaming at his fighter between rounds. I just, I think it was Ulan Bekov, but I can't remember. Maybe it was. I don't know. I I can't remember either because Habib has been everywhere this year. All the events. I mean, he is showing up everywhere. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he says, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> well, it, it's not that simple, though. I've, I've been talking to a lot of people that are connected with him. And he's still going to be coaching them in Dagestan. I think he'll still corner guys on occasion. He just really wants to dial back the travel. Like, the travel is um, oh. was, I think, having a real toll on him. He wants to spend more time with his family. But, I mean, just travel overall. When you're traveling week after week after week, uh, you know, that can take a toll on a human being. But him him coaching Islam and Usman Nurmagomedov to lightweight championships in, in both uh, promotions, Bellator and the UFC, like that's a pretty remarkable task in the course of one year. Not to mention that everybody else he was coaching seemed to be doing great as well. Yeah. And he's he's coached champions now. He's He's got a lot of champions all over his roster. I mean, he's doing so much. I couldn't get over. He's got a chain of restaurants. He's got a cell phone network. He's got the Eagle FC. He's got the the fighter management. He's just got so much going on. Yeah. And I, that's why I don't think that, like, it will be as big of a step back as I'm sure he would actually like. I think he'll actually probably be more involved. But I think he he needed, like, he was probably burnt out. And I think that that's probably what it came down to. Yeah. Let's talk about most improved fighter. This is always a tough category, but I actually think it's fairly easy this year. Um, I think it's Sergei Pavlovich. Like, this guy Mm. hadn't fought in, like, two and a half years, comes back, and then in subsequent first-round wins, defeats Shamil Abdurakhimov, who was ranked. But then... In back-to-back wins in in under a minute, Derek Lewis and Taito Ivasa. Mm. Like this guy was on nobody's radar heading into this year, and now he's number the number three heavyweight in the world. Like that's a pretty remarkable task for and for one man to achieve. He couldn't catch a bonus with a mitt. <laughs> uh, every single time he gets these spectacular knockouts, and he asks, 
And I think it's funny because he's asking for a bonus. He went to the trouble to um to <laughs> learn the learn the language enough to say it correctly, everything. And Dana won't give him a bonus or the UFC won't give him a bonus. Whoever at uh you know from the brass is not giving him a bonus. And I've come well, he got two out of three. I'm looking at his unless his oh, Wikipedia page is okay. wrong. Okay. <laughs> but I've noticed that when guys come out and just start being real vocal about asking for it, they tend not to get it. Like for instance, Hanato Moicano. Moicano wants money. Did he get money? No. I'm looking at that card. It was 277. Mm-hmm. So we had Pantoja got it over Alex Perez. That was like another quick finish. It was a minute and a half. And then Drew Dober over Rafael Alves. That was a great performance. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Pavlovich beat Derek Lewis in Texas in mm-hmm. under a minute and didn't get a, a bonus. That- and to make matters worse, Lewis got one of those Crypto.com fan bonuses despite losing in under a minute oh on that same card. Oh, man. So let's talk about the least improved fighter. I hate to say this because I love the guy, but Tony Ferguson is, is starting to kind of fall off. And... uh I wouldn't have said it after the Chandler fight, but after losing to Nate Diaz in the fashion that he did, um, you know, I believe he was favored in that fight. And, uh, you know, short notice opponent change. But, yeah, I mean, not not that Nate Diaz is not a tough opponent. He definitely is. But it seems like Ferguson went, I mean, he went from being a title challenger two years ago to being somebody who is, I'm not even, is he, I think he's out of the rankings now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's been a tough year for, for Tony. And, uh I'm hoping that whoever he gets next, he can bounce back against because I, I've always loved covering Tony Ferguson. He's uh, most of the time has been nice to me. And um, depending oh, you on what caught day. him on a bad day, too. I've interviewed him a bunch. I have caught him on a bad day. Well, that's funny. So there was one time I interviewed him. It was actually before he was supposed to face Khabib, the week that Khabib had to pull out. And uh, I was wearing glasses. Like he complimented my glasses. He goes, oh, those glasses are uh, are great. I'm going to call you Mr. Glasses from now on. And uh, then the next time I... Uh, I, I interviewed him. I, I made reference to the glasses. He goes, he goes, no, that's old. Those glasses, that's old now. <laughs> and then this most recent time where I interviewed him, um, I think it was actually before the Chandler fight. It was before the Chandler fight. I, I mentioned to him that he had said that to me because I think he complimented my new glasses. And I said, oh, I thought the gla- last time you mentioned you complimented my glasses and I brought that up again. You said that was old news. He was like, I said that to you. He goes, oh, man, I'm really sorry about that. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so at least he's got some self-awareness. So Tony... I don't know if I would call him least improved. I think I would call Tony most threadbare because Tony's just basically shop worn. For me, my least improved fighter is Iwan Kutalaba because he's devolving basically and he's still young and in his prime. I don't consider Tony still in his prime, but Iwan should be in his prime and he is regressing. There is not a lick of fighting IQ on that guy. And there should be. And he has all these amazing physical gifts. And they're just wasting away because I don't know uh, whether it comes down to coaching or if it comes down to coachability. Maybe he's not very coachable. I don't know. But for me, it was Ewan. I I hate seeing him lose over and over again because I, I loved watching him fight. Yeah, I mean, maybe I misunderstood this uh, particular category. I mean, Dominic Reyes fits into the category yes. of what you're saying as well. Oh, my God, that's a perfect one. Dominic okay. Reyes is probably more perfect than Iwan Kutalaba because of how far he fell after fighting John Jones. And he is still in his what should be his prime. Yeah, okay, so I'll switch my answer to that. Let's talk about best microphone presence. I'm going to go with Hanato Moicano. We talked about Moicano yeah. needs money. Like, I think that this is kind of the consent. This should be the kind of the consensus answer this year. Maybe it's just fresh in my head because it happened in November. Maybe something earlier in the year happened, but I'm going to go with uh, Hanato Moicano. Yes. And what makes his so special is that he was quiet for so long. And another guy that made sure he learned exactly what he wanted to say so that when he got his mic moment, my goodness, boy, did he make the most of it. And now he's really living it up on social media, too. <laughs> Have you noticed that? He's uh, he's turned into Paulo Costa a little bit. Well, that's good. Like yeah. that, I think he's figured it out. Yeah. Like He, he kind of needs to. And he, he's a guy that I think a lot of people will become enamored with if he can keep that up. Yes, indeed. Um, another one that has pretty decent microphone presence, if he can... Um, Fine-tune it. He's very much a diamond in the rough right now. Raul Rosas. Yeah, I think he needs to dial it up a little bit. I mean, he's still 
Like when I interviewed him, he was talking about like the cafeteria and pizza and stuff. He's like it's kind of weird for me. Eighteen, he's a baby. Yeah, so I think he's, he's got some time to work on that. Yeah, but I just like that he's very vivacious and wants that mic. I mean, he'll take it from you. I love that part about him. So when he does get this thing figured out, I think it's going to be really fun. I, I love that Moicano figured it out, like, in one go. He didn't have to baby step it or anything. Just grab the mic and in one shot gave the perfect call outs and promos. I loved it. Yeah. It was like Colby Covington when he turned heel. Like, that one time, I think that was, like, it kind of connected with people. Of course, he, like, then became that person. He, like, became the Frankenstein that he created. But, like, uh, <laughs> if you're talking about, like, singular microphone moments where yeah. they, like, kind of build up, build themselves up on that, you know, that particular element, then I guess you can give Colby some credit for that. Yeah. Give me your worst microphone presence. Well, I think it's probably Magomed Ankalaev. Like, he... He doesn't show a lot of emotion. It's like it's kind of his personality. He's very stoic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he would get a lot more opportunities. Like he finally got the championship opportunity and probably should have won that fight. But like mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult to market this guy. And I think that they realize that I mean, he's a great fighter. It's just I, I would have to say he's got the worst microphone presence. Now, in terms of the actual worst like post fight interviews this year, mm-hmm. there's a guy named Joel Bauman in Fury FC. He certainly doesn't have a bad presence, but he says the wackiest stuff and like. I don't know if you do, – do you know who I'm talking about here? I don't. I'm sorry. So he mentioned in his one of his post-fight speeches that he had two herpes outbreaks <gasps> during his camp and oh. that he was launching an NFT. Like oh. this, And this was in the span of like a 40-second clip. So oh this guy like – this guy is on something. Like so uh, I'm going to just give him an honorable mention because he has presence because he talks about this kind of wacky stuff. But I mean maybe he's going to get a, a – a a good fight down the road because he says such weird stuff he also talked about like hollywood and like all all this weird like he's just an odd fellow um (laughs) so i I can't really give him worse presence because he's got presence but like uh he says wacky stuff mine was benil dariush you can he was on my radar too (laughs) yeah he might have the most um cringeworthy singular moment on the mic just had no awareness of his location had no awareness of his audience i mean wow i was like whoa any minute now they're gonna get the cane and pull him off the stage (laughs) man that was cringe 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 he seems like a nice guy he's always been nice to me so maybe maybe i i just uh i i gave him preferential treatment for that reason he is a nice guy. I've interviewed him <laughs> several times, too. He really is a super nice guy. But he got to dial down the, the, the Bible thumping a little bit and shoving it onto everyone like that. Oh, and not to mention, he's right in the mix for the lightweight championship and just mm-hmm. like doesn't have anybody to call out. Like That's probably the part of it that is equally bad. Yeah. <laughs> that was the part that I was, I was uh, concerned about. And you know what always gets me about Benil? This man is looking like he's 45, but he's not. That silver hair throws me for a damn loop. And he also is like very in the cage is very like almost robotic and mm-hmm. stiff, but he's so good at what he does that like mm-hmm. he he's very deceiving. Like I think that's actually a great trait that he has mm-hmm. is like he's he's not like very athletic, but he's very he got such deceptive skill. He's got big power, he's got really good grappling. Like elite grappling, really, mm-hmm. and people forget about it because they they see kind of how stiff he is. They see the gray hair, and like you said, it, it almost gives this illusion that he's this old guy. Indeed, and he his jujitsu pedigree is a, a feat in itself because from the time he started jujitsu until he earned his black belt was record time, record time, and he has his black belt under a legend. So it's not like he went and got a four year black belt under some guy off the street or anything that we don't know he is a prodigy a real prodigy so i mean robotic striking yes but he also has a one-hitter quitter and i love that yeah, about he's got him power too. he's got power for sure a lot of power his strikings come a long way he was a, a lot more stiff when he first got in the ufc than he is now he's very confident in his hands now and i love that i mean i think he gives anybody a run for their money including sure. islam yeah, I agree. I think that like on the ground, I don't think he's going to be a fish out of water against Islam. And I think on the feet, he's got the power advantage. Yeah, on the ground, though, I, I do kind of give Islam the advantage simply because that style of wrestling that they have, 
man, it's crushing. It's all about getting the position and holding it. Smother the guy. And then work whatever you need to work for, you know, submission attempts or whatever. But it's all about just, man, I feel like they're trying to crush your spirit when they're there. Yeah, and Islam's slick on the ground, mm-hmm. too. Like, he's got really deceptive submissions. Yes, he does. So let's go ahead and talk about walkouts. I put this in here for a reason because we don't get to see a lot of walkouts. So in this category, you can also include the little packages that they give you during the fight card and in the lead up to the fight card for a couple of days before. You can also use embedded packages. And the reason why I say this is because my moment came from one of those packages. It was, and in the lead up to the actual fight, it was Alex Pereira and all of his amazing tribal dress. I love that. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, I, I, I can't give the U, anybody in the UFC this designation. Mm. When you've got like a, a promotion like Ryzen who really oh, embraced yeah. the Outs. So I'm going to go with one Archuleta who who really seized the moment, I think, at Saitama. It was the last day of the year in 2022. So, again, maybe it's fresh in my mind. But his win over uh, Suchul Kim, as controversial as it might have been, I thought that the walkout um, that he had was really, really cool. And um, he gets style points from me. Um, that's that's my walkout of the year. Yeah, that was a very, very good one. I like that one a lot, too. Definitely. And AJ McKee, also some style points with the samurai uniform. And yeah, I liked it, too. He did it up. You know what? Everybody's walkout was pretty cool. It really was. The pacing was kind of screwy when they had uh, Patricio come out. So he kind of stood there not knowing what to do with his little Spartan costume. But I mean, outside of that, I thought everybody, that was just an amazing show. I wish the UFC would hold an event in Japan mm. where they would allow people to just do that for one card a year, where they would like allow the people that are on it to just, just say like, we're going to do uh, like a, we're going to basically take the pride formula and just put it into this card. Can we like, put, I think that would be really dope. Can we bring back the ramp for that one card? Yeah, exactly. Just take <laughs> the exact like format of pride and just put for one card a year. Like you can just call it like you can almost call it a pride event. You can, they, can, they own pride. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like they can't do this. They should just do it for one card a year. I think it would be a really refreshing thing. Absolutely. And, you know, we had moments where we had something spectacular. Uh, I always go back to Connor's um, walkout when he had Sinead O'Connor singing. I mean, that was massive. Yeah, and Israel with the uh, the dancing crew. Even The Undertaker this year was one of the more innovative UFC walkouts. But just on principle going forward, I'm not going to give any walkout from the UFC. Like even Patty coming out in London and the crowd going crazy. Like all of those are cool. But when you've got like ramps and fireworks and like Mm. costumes and stuff like that's I'm going to just go with those. Yeah. And when you have them giving them the time to to do the walkout and not just flashing back over to the commentary booth or into the empty ring or anything, they actually put some time into following the, the, the person walking out and zooming in and catching the pyrotechnics in the back. Their camera work is stellar when those walkouts are happening. Absolutely. All right. Now let's talk about best referee. I'm not going to put a worst referee because, you know, they all have their bad days, but I definitely put the best one in here because there are some that are, you know, cream rises to the top and there are some that are better than others. For me, it's Mark Goddard. I, I think he's really the gold standard of referees. He he very seldom makes any mistakes in there and he's got such a, a command over every situation that he's in. Um, he, I mean, if you were to look at this year and, and try to think of something that Mark Goddard did, erroneously like there there's really nothing there and he's he's refereeing that the big fights um so i have to give it to to mark goddard he's always been so passionate about his craft and i think that he to me is the gold standard of referees for me it's jason herzog i i I like him a lot because he's very low-key he never draws attention to himself even on social media he's very low-key and I, he's consistent, super consistent. Goddard was my second pick. Um, the only reason why Goddard didn't get first pick is because I um, feel like sometimes he likes to draw attention to himself a little bit. I don't know if it's just me getting that per that 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 persona um, vibe off of him, but I just uh, I don't know. I've I've just always liked Herzog. Yeah, I think those are the two best in the game for sure. Like I think Goddard and, and Herzog to me are like 1A and 1B. They're they're fantastic referees. And 
Goddard, to his credit, has the best hair in the game. <laughs> it's always he, consistently good, right? Like, yes. I mean, I, I don't know if he's got like a pomade. I should ask him next time I see him how he, uh, what he uses for product because I, I, I would steal that. I would like to know about his barber because his barber does an immaculate fade. Immaculate. And he does an immaculate hard part too. His hair is just perfect. So time to move on to our best promotion not named UFC. For me, like it's it's between Bellator and the PFL. I think for a lot of people, that's uh, the way it is in terms of MMA. Um, I'm going with Bellator. And the reason why is because I feel like they've really stepped up the quality of their prelims over time. You know, it used to be with Bellator that like you would watch the main card and they would take like a lot of local fighters for the, Mm. uh, the prelims and sprinkle in some of their prospects here and there. Now their prelims are consistently good from top to bottom. And, um, I think that they've actually developed a really strong overall pool of talent, um, that, that they draw from. I'm going to go with them. I think that they had a, a really good year, and I think that their their development of a lot of their fighters has really been on point recently. Um, and while I love the PFL format, I do think that there are some holes in their format, so with something that I've actually spoken to Don Davis about directly, and hopefully they'll change in the future. There were a couple hiccups that they had um, in 2022 that I thought were, were fairly unprofessional. Um, like a lot of the Russian fighters that had uh, advanced into the tournament and they're trying to win a million dollars couldn't fight because they had certain weight classes in the oh, uk yeah, and they, they weren't allowing russian athletes to compete in the uk like there were a couple of hiccups that they had that i thought were you know kind of bush league um to be frank so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with bellator for 2022 pfl also dropped the ball with that pay-per-view with the way that they promoted it or lack thereof i mean the whole pay-per-view that whole card was a mess absolute mess and the very little promotion that they did for it after announcing it just a month and a half before it was going to happen i mean that the handling of it was awful but i um i like them they were my second choice my first choice was also bellator for a similar reason to you you like the quality of the cards and and the fact that we're not getting the locals you know the the five hundred dollar a thousand dollar locals I like Bellator because they have a significant portion of ranked fighters, according to Fight Matrix. If you don't want to look at Fight Matrix, you you can go to any of the fan-driven sites, like Tapology has fan-driven rankings or whatever. But the, it's it's pretty consistent that Bellator has uh, top 25 guys, top 20 guys, top 15 guys in their roster that they they you know fight regularly. So, yeah, and even some top five guys, I would argue, exactly. in some of their divisions. They, and, they've got a good good talent pool, and I think that they've done a good job of developing homegrown yes. talent. Yes, and that was my second thing, is that they're really good at, at getting their own talent and building them up. I mean, just look at Patricio and Patricchi. Those are homegrown talents. Yes, And AJ have, McKee, I think, is like the... the exactly. You know, him, him and Patricio, I think, are like perfect examples of guys that you can argue are in the top five of the divisions yes. of the world that I Bellator's mean, developed. Patricchi is a little bit past his prime and is you know he's starting to look a little shop warm but patricio on the other hand he's still fighting at the top of his game now i figure he's got about another year year and a half before he starts on a decline too because all the time in the game and all those wars my goodness especially the ones with daniel strauss oh it adds up absolutely absolutely all right time to get to our last two categories best commentator and worst commentator any promotion you want, but let's start with best. Uh, for me, it's John Anik. I think he's just the gold standard for play-by-play in mixed martial arts. Um, and really, anytime we do this together, if we do it again in the future, like he's going to be my default answer mm. um, for as long as he's with the UFC. And he just extended his contract with him last year. So John Anik is my answer. Yeah, I think John Anik is probably a universal answer. The amount of preparation he does. I love that he handwrites his notes. That's amazing. Most people would just type it in and look on their screen, but he handwrites on index cards his notes for the for the for the events. I just love that. And he memorizes them too. That's just yeah, that's a level school. of preparation and dedication that not many strive to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. John is like he's the gold standard. If, there's very few people in all of sports that are as good as John Anik. Yeah. Um, if we're looking at other promotions, I really like Sean O'Connell. 
Sean O'Connell is mesmerizes me because he's a former fighter Mm -hmm. that does play by play as good as basically anybody in the game. Like I I am in in such envy of that guy and his skills. Like the fact that he's able to do like he does. He was a fighter. He won a million dollars at the PFL in the Mm -hmm. tournament was in the UFC. And then he transitions to being the successful broadcaster on like radio and now doing play-by-play, like, what can't this guy do? Yes, I love him. I think he's great. They're, the PFL commentary team is actually pretty good. I like Randy Couture in there, too. Well, Randy, sometimes it sounds like he's asleep at the wheel, but, I mean, he's an older he's an older guy yeah. who has miles on him. Um, but I think he has a lot of really good insight. And, I, of course, I think Kenny is very good as well. Yeah. Um, I like that PFL team quite a bit. I think that Sean really drives that train yeah. um, to make it successful. I like having Randy in there because Randy has good wrestling takes. I really like when Randy gets going on wrestling uh, on a tangent. Man, I love listening to him when he when he is actually awake at the wheel. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend. I mean, I don't mean to rip the guy. I like Randy. It's good having it's just, that. You know, every back. now and then it sounds like he's like he's not watching. You know, he's it's a little bit out of it. But you know, it it is what it is. It's good having that name value too. He's he's a legend. Absolutely. Worst commentator. That's our last one. Well, being a commentator is ex- exceptionally hard, so I, I hate to have to single someone out. But because you put the category there, Steph, I will do it. Um, for me, it's Mitch Chilson from one championship. Like the problem with Mitch is not that he's like not a good commentator. It's that he's such a promoter yeah. and he's always talking about, oh, the Machido spirit and this be- this belt weighs 45 pounds. And like we're watching it already, Mitch. Like he's always promoting one championship in the broadcast. Like. I'm already watching the broadcast, Mitch. You don't need to like sell me on one championship being great. I'm in. I'm watching it. I'm here. Like I'm sitting on my couch. I've got it on. I'm I'm here to watch the fights. Like I'm not. You don't need to sell me on it. Like we're here. We're already like. Are you worried about us leaving? Like it's like if you're at like a dealer car dealership and they're like, oh uh, wait wait wait. I can, I can I can get the financing down to 1.2 percent and drop 800 bucks off the price. Just don't go. <laughs> It's like, it's okay. We're here. Like we want to watch you guys have a good product. You've got really good. Um, you're mixing it up. You got MMA, you got Muay Thai. I love it. You got kickboxing. You got uh, BJJ. Like I'm here for it. You don't need to keep telling me about how great it is. Very much a car salesman vibe. Very yeah. Nice. But again, like I don't want to rip the guy. I just, I, I feel like the PFL broadcast and I'm going to watch PFL on prime tonight. I, or not PFL, sorry. One championship. I'm going to watch one championship on prime tonight. And I'm like excited about it, but it, it actually makes the experience for me worse mm-hmm. when they talk about how great it is. Because like, if I didn't think it was good, I wouldn't be watching. Yeah. For me, big John, I can't, ugh. you know, when he was a great legendary, one of the best referees of all time. Without question, uh, his his contribution to the sport, without question, it's monumental. But his microphone presence is horrible. His delivery, the long pauses when he insists on being the one interviewing. Oh, my God. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me. I cannot stand listening to him. And he has really dumb takes quite frequently. I don't care who hears this, who runs back and tells him. I would tell him myself. I, he has dumb takes, period. I, I, he His whole thing, defending the, 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 the tape delay of the last call. My God. Dude, just sit down and keep your mouth shut and eat your food. I didn't even see him defend the tape. Like, the tape delay is indefensible. Like, what are you going to... Uh... Oh, yes. He... It was uh, just like a week and a half ago. Um, I'll, I'll alert you to it. What's the defense? Like, what's the defense for, like, airing something on tape delay? Like, I get... Like, I understand why they do it. But, like, there, there's no way to, like, say that it's a good thing. You can't defend tape delay. In, in 2022, now 2023, you can't you can't defend tape delay. I'm sorry. Like, there's there's no defense for it. Period. <laughs> There's really not, but he actually did. Um, let, let me read this to you. This and I actually like Big John. Like I think Big John does a pretty good job. And I think he, that when it comes to like the legislative side of things, when you talk about judging, refereeing, like he's so on the ball with that kind of thing. Um, and, but he ha- he does have some weird takes every now and then during the broadcasts. But I mean, what, what commentator doesn't, right? So I, I, I won't give John, Big John any flack. But you can't defend tape delay. I'm sorry. It's just like it's oh, it's indefensible. Wait, wait till you hear why he defended it. You're you're not even going to believe. This. Okay, I'm 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 listening, Steph. Let's All go. All right. So I'm going to read you two tweets. The first one is the guy that he's replying to. So a guy named MMA Joey said Bellator and Ryzen both deserve criticism for airing their card via tape delay in the U.S. 
Truly, nobody wants to watch that, knowing damn well it's not live. Just doing my duty, John McCarthy and Josh Thompson, by covering Bellator today. So, John McCarthy replies back, So you're blaming Bellator and or Ryzen for putting a show on US TV at a delayed time when the actual time of the event in Japan makes it to where it is on at 5 a.m. East Coast and 2 a.m. Pacific Coast. Tough crowd. So he basically is saying that we should be glad that it's taped delayed so we don't have to be up early at the crack of dawn or earlier to watch this. Like MMA fans aren't going to want to watch live. Well, that's the thing, right? Like if you're a fan of Bellator and Ryzen, like you want to watch, like if you're already a fan, you want to watch it live, right? Yes. Like if people are going out of their way to watch Bellator, I think that they'll wake up early to watch it or PVR it and watch it when, when it's at their convenience. Uh, so that's the part about it that bothers me. It's like, also, if you're a Bellator fan, are you, is there on this planet a Bellator fan that's so diehard that they're going to ignore social media for an entire day so that at 8 p.m. on New Year's Eve, they're going to watch a live, uh, a tape delayed card like that human being, in my opinion, does not exist. And if they do, it's like you can count them on two hands. Well, in this conversation, he's going back and forth with lots of people because he got ratioed so bad. I even replied to him. I was like, <laughs> it's absurd. I wasn't rude. I was like, it is absolutely absurd to think that any MMA fan wouldn't stay up to watch the biggest international card of the year. Who wouldn't on New Year's Eve? Come on. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But he was going back and forth, just absolutely digging in, digging in. I mean, this is not the hill you want to die on, but apparently it is. But he got ratioed to shit. It was, man, <laughs> I, I don't understand how they are so clueless. Just like, you know, the, the little uh, dig that MMA Joey got in there at the end, just doing my duty by covering Bellator today. That all stems from when Josh Thompson said that it's our job to promote Bellator. No, yeah. it's Bellator's job to promote their own card. Yeah, and as opposed to demoting it by putting it on tape delay. So <laughs> Thank I mean, you. <laughs> I mean, listen, if if people are that passionate about it, obviously they want to watch it live. Like, give people the option at least. I don't mind them playing it on like a, a replay of it at whatever eight p.m. Eastern, but at least have the option to show it live on Showtime. Like, what? It's it's sports. Like we're talking about a live product in sports. Um, and especially when you could, I believe you could watch it on fight TV live. Mm -hmm. So people that wanted to watch it could watch it. So why even defend, I guess, like if you're Bellator, you probably want to watch it on, you know, people to watch it on Showtime, but at least tell people they have the option. And that's the thing with the fight TV thing. You could watch the first card, but remember there were two back-to-back -back cards. The second card, the Bellator versus rising card, that was the one you could not watch on fight TV from the United States unless you used a proxy. And mm, they okay. had a Canadian pro it's so weird. They had a Canadian proxy. They had a UK proxy, but they had, I mean, like streams, like official streams for this. It was just the, biggest mess and he's over here defending that come on come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm with you on that like it's indefensible all right so we are wrapped now and what i want to do is i've got to give you a moment tell us about the podcast whatever you have going on this week if you have articles interviews i want to know everything you got going on well, I've made this easy on everybody. I pay $26 a year for a domain. It's www.aaron.report. And you can find absolutely all of my work right there. So you can find the link to my podcast. You can find all my social media platforms, everything in one place. But I still haven't heard what you got coming up this week. Well, I guess this past week I had my uh, the TSN MMA show. I usually do on a weekly basis, but I was on vacation. So, of course, a lot of things happened in the world of mixed martial arts. And uh, I, I took the time to really carefully unpack you know, in detail, um, kind of my perspective on all of these different stories. And of course, this week, UFC 283, uh, I'll have a preview uh, along with some interviews. I, I do sometimes I'll do an interview edition of my podcast where it's just my interviews from the week. And sometimes I'll, I'll amalgamate them into one podcast. So I think this week, depending on what day my interviews are going to be done, I'll likely amalgamate it. But I don't know for sure. But again, www.aaron.report, you can find a link to the TSN MMA show. And if you really want, 
you know, on social media, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm very good at kind of keeping it um, fact-driven. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear my opinion on a lot of these topics, the podcast is where you're going to find that. Yeah, and it's a great podcast, too. I really like that. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question. This is a curveball for you, but I got to know. Um, I saw this thing on James Krause where, you know, now they're discovering that some of his interactions were with offshore accounts and everything. I just want to get your opinion on this because I've never asked you. Well, uh, on what facet of the story all are you curious it. about? Just all of it. Your overall opinion on the whole James Krause, UFC, gambling, betting, the whole thing. Just wrap it up into one neat ball and give an uh, overall opinion on it. I'm just curious. Well, it's it's a weird one because he was acting in, in such a brazen fashion about how he was going about it. And like I, I almost feel like. Of course, there are some things that he should certainly be blamed for in terms of uh, like insider trading and, and things like things of that nature. But sure. I wonder I wonder how much of it he actually knew was wrong while while he was doing it. Like, exactly. I wonder if he actually knew the legality that like how how illegal the stuff he was doing was when it was happening. Like and especially with this new story from Mark Raimondi and, and David Purdom. And there was one other reporter on it whose name I, I, I can't remember that went to uh, Derek Minner's gym and spoke to him. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like, I, I feel like he didn't realize the gravity of what he was doing. And I almost feel bad for him in that regard. Like, you know, because I I don't think he's bouncing back from this. Nope. In terms of like, you know, coaching again or having any real role in mixed martial arts, um, which is, you know, I think unfortunate for him and, and for his family. Um, it seems like his life, you know, if you read that article, it, it, it appears him and his wife have, have split up now. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it seems like his world is really unraveling as a result of a lot of these things. So, um you know, I, I kind of feel for him and especially the people that he trains who kind of yes. ended up being party to this. Um, I don't know what's going to end up happening with that. Like, I, I like a lot of those guys. Like, Jeff Molina is a sweetheart to me. And, and same with Julian Marquez. I like those guys very much as people. Um, Look at and Brandon I feel like Marino. I, he uprooted his entire family, moved to a different country to be near James Krause so he could train him. In the middle of a camp, all this happens. Yeah. It's, it's again, like, I, I just... I don't think that he would have said the things on Ariel Hawani's show if he would have known really how serious what he was doing was. And um, I think it's really I think that was the biggest story of 2022. Um, Of course, in 2023, we've got a lot of candidates already. But in 2022, I think that uh, that story really made waves and, and will change a lot of how the sport operates going forward. Did you get the impression? Because I did especially the way that they promoted his little betting show on the embeddeds and their various tweets. And if I'm not mistaken, they advertised for it on Fight Pass. I got the impression that the UFC sort of held his hand through this because they saw some how popular it was getting and maybe we're getting gearing up to offering him a partnership on fight pass or something along those lines but i got the impression that the ufc was just fine with it holding his hand the whole way and then when this all this all started coming to the forefront the first thing dana said was no no there's nothing foul here james didn't do anything we're 100 behind him blah 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 and then not even a week later, Dana says, oh, James is looking at federal time. He fucked up. He did this. He did that. And it was like when Dana White said that Burt Watson, he was never my friend. I got that vibe so big off of this whole story. Yeah. Like, again, I just I don't know if he realized and I don't even know if, like you said, if the UFC realized yeah, the yeah. the precarious position that they put themselves in mm-hmm. by being so, um, I guess, loosey goosey yeah. with betting and sports betting. And I don't know if they realized the federal oversight that there is on on sports betting. And I, I mean, it's still, it's you know, at, at the time of this recording, banned in Ontario. And I've been talking to a lot of the regulators about why and and. They raise good points. It's like they're taking the same amount of handle on the UFC as they are a lot of the other major sports. But the major sports have so much more oversight and so many more um, things that can prevent this sort of thing from happening. Whereas the UFC, because these fighters are independent contractors and because, um, you know, they the code of conduct, while they have a code of conduct, like it, it's still they don't really have any real oversight of coaches of family members of all of these things because the athletes are all independent contractors they can't really police that internally so there are a lot of things that 
make the UFC different from, from other you know major sports leagues. Like I think a lot of people conflate sports leagues and sports entertainment promotions. Mm. Um, and I think that that is something that people need to understand as to why everything is so different in this space. Because if you look at a major sports league, you look at them having players associations, coaches, coaches associations, pension plans. Um, their managers got, uh, actually have to have a degree. I mean, their yeah, managers like, yeah, have like to manage, be licensed. Like agents have certification. Yes, like there's, there's exactly. so much more. And we're really in the wild west here in MMA because it's still a, it's still a young sport. Like as much as people want to say, you know, that, uh, oh, you know, the UFC has been around for 30 years. I mean, what, if you look at the formative years of the UFC – what's it what's it maybe 15 years like that, that it's really been considered like a mainstream mainstream sport so it's like you know i think that as a result of that people conflate big professional sports leagues that have all of all of these these um this organization to them in terms of like all of these different associations and things that are that ownership like 31 teams all owned by different people who kind of all own the league together and one person overseeing that like it, it's just that there's so many layers to it whereas in mma a lot of it is just kind of like what's on the surface mm-hmm. i just feel like the uh the antitrust suit isn't going to be the the story of the decade it's definitely going to be that gambling thing can't be the dana white thing because that thing is already under a rug yeah well i mean and I talked about this on my podcast as well. It's like, and I also, right before we jumped on this, mm-hmm. I tweeted out that like people keep talking about Ray Rice and like comparing it to Ray Rice. But like, meanwhile, Gervonta Davis, four days before this thing with Dana happened, mm-hmm. got arrested. Yes. There's like a 911 call with a woman basically saying that she's worried for her life. Mm-hmm. And then and she like, came he fought, out. He fought 11 days later and made millions of dollars. But hey, there, there is a, an extra layer there. She came out the very next day and issued an official statement and it clearly crafted by an attorney or something, but a a very PR worthy statement saying that she jumped the gun. She shouldn't have called that. He never put his hands on her or her child. Never. And Mm -hmm. so charges are still pending though. Charges are still pending. That's from, from the officers though, Mm -hmm. because that's what, that's the the routine here, but it's probably going to get dismissed because she will not testify that he did anything to her. Yeah. And likely like his other case that got dismissed where there's video of him putting his hands on a woman. But I, you know, one thing that I, I pointed out and I, you know, I, I'm not making excuses for combat sports, Sure, but combat sports. And we just talked about this, five minutes ago has far fewer, like far less oversight Mm -hmm. than a major, than like a major sports promotion. So comparing Ray Rice and his situation to Dana White's situation is like apples to oranges. Yeah. Um, And while Gervonta and Dana White is not apples to apples, Gervonta doesn't run a sports promotion, but he is a boxer in this, like that's promoted. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he still like that, I think is a more accurate comparison because like when you look at oversight from boxing, like what oversight is there? Who's going to like, who's going to, who's going to punish Gervonta Davis? Nobody. Right? Like nobody. Yeah. Whereas if you're a, an athlete that fights, that sort of competes for a professional sports league, um, you have your team to answer to. You have your players association to answer to. You have your owners to answer to. You have the league to answer to. You have the board of governors, board of directors to answer to. Like there, there are so many different um, people that you're accountable to. Whereas in combat sports, like it's still again surface level wild west like it's it's not the same thing and people are kind of conflating these things where i think that um again it's it's not about being an unfair comparison but i think that people just kind of need to understand the difference and then you also have usada <laughs> and people are like but they have oversight they have usada no, USADA doesn't oversee. They, they can't sanction people for stuff that they do yeah. outside of like anti-doping. But, but even further than that, the reason why I picked USADA though is the UFC pays USADA. How many times has Dana said when a com- fighter complained, and it's been twice this year, as a matter of fact, twice in the past like three months, when USADA was going out and bothering Paulo Costa at 5 a.m. And there was another fighter that got bothered at, you know, 6 a.m. in the middle of his weight cut. And what did Dana say? That won't happen again. I'm going to have a talk with them. This is the company that's supposed to be overseeing your, your drug testing. But you're going to tell them when they can drug test. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that whole thing. I think USADA needs to get the hell out. 
Well, it's just not an independent mm-hmm. body. Like, no. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to yes. is like, if there, if there's any influence on them whatsoever, then there's, they're not an independent entity. Yeah. And the fact that they get paid makes them not an independent anything entity. So anyways, tell people where to find you on your social media. Um, at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter. And again, if you go to Aaron.report, all of my different social media handles are right there. There you go. So on that note, we're going to wrap. Do me a favor, follow this guy. His link tree is right there at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter. You can follow me at Crooklyn MMA and the show at Crooklyn's Corner. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog and as always on bloodyelbow.com